to today, we're going to be talking about true peace, or real peace. And of course, this is on the heels of our time in Romans 12, in particular on verse 18, where it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, to be at peace with all men. We're going to talk about how we can do that, and uh, what true peace or real peace really looks like. And uh, before we begin, let's just pray and ask God's help. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be disciples, that you would help us to be learners of your word today. Lord, we pray that the scriptures would speak loudly to us, Lord, that we would have willing hearts to put into practice uh, these things we'll be looking at. Lord, that we would be those who are ruled by peace. And Lord, may it be that we would be those that are so amazed because you have brought reconciliation to us by the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the handout that you have is uh, really adapted from the Peacemaker materials. Ken Sandy wrote a book called The Peacemaker some time ago. It's uh, an excellent book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to try to read it. They're right up here, Chris. Grab what you need. Um, and so, really, it's adapted from that. And um, really, the purpose is to persuade you, as God's children, to see a priority and to have a passion for peace, to firmly establish uh, the gospel of Christ as the foundation for real peace. And the key principle that he brings out several times is conflict is an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity to glorify God. Actually, there's these uh, little brochures, and I have some in the back. They're the older, they don't look exactly like that color, but it's something good to have on hand, that it's an opportunity to glorify God and to bring about uh, peace. And so we shouldn't look at conflict as totally a horrible thing. Um, people in this world are really hungry for peace. Go to Google, at least I did on Friday, and I searched peace. And how many pages do you think came up in relation to peace? A million? Two million? 500,000? Okay, that's less than a million. 293 million pages came up in relation to peace. Reference articles about anything and everything you could think about. And as I looked over some of these, there's articles about the Peace Corps, the Peace Prizes, Imagine Peace, Peace Collages, Peace Endowments, Peace Gardens, Peace Institutes, Peace Protests, etc., etc., and if you begin to look at some of these pages, as I did a few of them, you'll discover the diverse formulas for finding peace. You see, the world is offering you a formula to find peace, to find inner peace or whatever, right? And uh, nearly all of them are based on human efforts to resolve conflict. And so it's all about our human efforts, how to get along with others. But most of these approaches... Um, most of these approaches are described all too well in Jeremiah 6, where it says, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious or superficially. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Now, 
thankfully today, we don't have to sort through all of these Google pages to try to discover the, the secret for peace, right? We have pages of the book where we know every single answer is here for us. God has graciously described the one and only path to genuine and lasting peace. And I'll turn your attention to the Colossians uh, chapter 1. If you'll turn there, Colossians chapter 1, and we'll read together these verses one or fifth, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. The word of the Lord says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Now catch these next few verses. For it was the Father's good pleasure in all the fullness of to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things on heaven. In this passage here, we have something described of a much better way, a better path of finding peace than those millions of pages on Google something that's promising for us and something that we can cling to. And so as we um, consider peace, you'll notice the acronym here, and this is not mine, this is uh, Ken Sandy's acronym, peace. You see he's got five there to spell it out. Peace is a priority, it's expensive, it requires an ally, it's found at the cross, and it has eternal consequences. Do you see that on your outline there? And so. We're just going to look at each of these key five, five principles just briefly and uh, then try to draw some uh, concluding application. First of all, real peace is a priority with God. Consider who God sent into this world to bring about reconciliation. This broken world, this world that's full of conflict, who did he send? He didn't send a mighty army. He didn't send a host of angels. He sent his only begotten son to bring about this reconciliation. The most exalted, powerful ambassador of all time. And we've just read all of his credentials. He's the one that's created all things. All things are held together by the word of his power. And this was no casual or last minute assignment. This was planned from before the foundation of the world that he would be the one to bring peace to a sin-cursed people. Also in 1 Peter it says Jesus was chosen for this task before the creation of the world. So God, the Father, has a priority to bring about peace and it's emphasized through the planned reconciliation uh, that he has brought about. And since God has made peace one of the highest priorities, he calls us as the children of God to do the same thing. When we're in conflict with a brother, when we have disagreements, when we're estranged, 
uh, whether it's from him or from others, we're not to treat it as though it's some small thing, as though it's insignificant and, and as though it's not important. We're to deal with it as something very important. He expects us to make make an effort to seek peace with others. He teaches us not to delay to make reconciliation. Um, it's, it's a priority even before we worship God. I read this in, in the sermon, Matthew 5. If, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. The priority is that if we're at odds with the brother, we can't worship God in spirit and in truth. We've got tainted, we've got sin, unconfessed sin. We, we're not coming with a pure and a full heart to him to worship. Not that we can ever do that perfectly, but you understand the point. What more can God say to indicate the high priority that he places on peace? He sent his own Son to bring about reconciliation, as it says in the text, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So, that's the priority of peace. Secondly, real peace is expensive. Look at the text. It's, it's, it's expensive. It costs Jesus Christ his own life, his own blood, as he suffered on the cross. The Son of God had to leave all the glory of heaven, all the, the sweet fellowship of the Father and the Spirit and the, the sweet communion that they have and the Trinity there and the, the, the um, sweetness of that fellowship. He left that to take on sinful flesh that he might live the horrible life and die the horrible death, the mocking, the beating, the torture that he endured on our behalf. What price can we put on that? There's no numeric value that you can put on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. His life and his blood is infinitely precious. So precious, we'd be foolhardy to ever try to put a dollar amount on it. Why would God be willing to pay such a high price for our salvation? We're told again and again that it is what? Love. It's love. God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. In 1 John, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God has so loved us, so also ought we to love one another. See, when you begin to understand the, the full love of God, how that will prompt us, how that will encourage us to love others, the very thing that we've been studying in Romans 12, isn't it? That when we truly understand his infinite love for us as unworthy sinners, how can we not then let that overflow into love others? We should be willing to pay whatever price is necessary to be reconciled to those around us. Christ paid the infinitely expensive price. So ask yourself, is Jesus' love living inside of you today? Is there something that, that, that just pulls you away, that, that makes you want to retaliate and to, to respond in anger or in, in uh, hate rather than in love? Because if Christ's love is dwelling in you and you understand something of the infinite love of God for you, 
you will begin to respond in love. Yes, not perfectly. I understand that. I can um, relate to that. But we will begin to change our thinking and do what we can to respond in love. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, and then he will exalt you in due time. We need to ask ourselves, will we humble ourselves? Stop trying to exert our own rights. Stop trying to prove our own righteousness, that I'm right. Cast aside ungodly methods for resolving conflict and follow the path that God has clearly set forth in resolving conflict. Now some principles for us to uh, consider. Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 4 should be a familiar passage to you. Why should you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the two-by-four that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck out of your eye at the same time that you have this plank in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Do you see that? It's so easy to fall into sinful criticism. It's so easy to be able to um, make a list of other sins while being blinded to our own sin. We need to take the log out of our own eye first. We need to deal with ourselves first. We need to examine ourselves. And then maybe, by God's grace, we might be able to offer some encouragement or to point something out to a brother we need to stop dwelling on what others have done wrong and taking these inventories because that goes nowhere, doesn't it? All that is is that's fuel for you to the next conflict to throw up and to throw onto the fire that makes the next conflict that much larger. We need to ask ourselves, what have I done personally to contribute to a particular conflict that's going on in a marriage relationship, in a friendship, a parent-child relationship, and be willing to seek forgiveness. Paul does say in Ephesians 4, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Say it louder. Just as Christ has forgiven you. So if you forgive halfway, only until the next infraction, is that how Christ has forgiven you? No, he's forgiven you fully completely and so we are too to completely forgive now that's easier said than done and it's somewhat easy to do in the small things but what about a person that's really deeply hurt you what about the spouse whose other spouse has committed adultery and the the the, the spouse the innocent party wants to forgive and wants to move on it's not like a flip of a switch to where that never happened it takes time, and it takes studying these types of principles that makes those things possible. And I'm aware of a few situations where that has taken place, and it's a glorious thing to see reconciliation take place, even with such a gross sin as that after the person has repented and so forth. But we need to be willing to confess our sins. We need to forgive each other completely for Christ's sake. Because we will be wronged. We'll be gossiped about. Uh, it's hard when somebody fails to keep a commitment or damages your property. Um, what price will you pay to encourage 
that person's repentance and restore peace. I was listening to a sermon by John MacArthur that uh, some years ago, I'm going to get out of the sun because I'm tanning up, and he uh, told a story of there was someone in the church that, um, someone's son that was shot in a uh, little uh, mini market robbery and was killed. And the man had just left to plant a church up in Oregon. When he was back down in the area, he went and visited that man that was in prison. He was convicted. He was doing prison time. He wanted to share the gospel with that man and went and visited him and told him, I forgive you and presented Christ. Now, could you do that to the murder of your own son? That's the kind of things to put some flesh to it that we're called to do. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> that is hard for sure. But it is possible. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember Jesus paid a far greater price to secure our forgiveness from God. His love overflowed in the supreme sacrifice of himself. And will you commit to joyfully reflecting and celebrating the love of Christ that's already been manifested in your heart, it's been shed abroad in your heart, and then you reflect that to others? So the priority, real peace is a priority. It's expensive. Thirdly, and this acronym from Ken Sandy, it requires an ally. I'm sure all of us here would say, would we love to, would we, who would like to have a love like that that I just described? We'd all probably say, well, yeah, I sure would like to. I don't know if I could, but I would like to. Well, that's why we need an ally. Because the reality is, is we love too little. We have far less humility what we need. Our compassion is can wane and, and be very shallow. And, and so we need an ally. Real peace requires an ally. And we cannot do this on our own. We need an ally that has fully paid the high price of reconciliation. I mean, that gets back into thinking, never mind the horizontal, change it to the vertical first. And Jesus, by his cross, has reconciled me who is at enmity with the Father and reconciled me by virtue of the cross to God. Now, how can I not, going back horizontal, do that to others? But we need that motivation that I just described. You see, without that, well, I just want to be a nice person. That's not enough motivation, is it? No. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's eager to come to our side. He's already bore the full cost of sin. We've already read it in verses 19 and 20, but to read it again, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, He reconciled all things to Himself. You have reconciliation and you have peace right there in the same verse. Beautiful. God would not be pleased to reconcile two sinners, say one on this side, one on this side, I won't name names <laughs> of the auditorium here, but it's not, he's not pleased to reconcile two sinners to himself, right? They're at peace with God, but then to be at enmity with each other and to be in conflict. God is not well pleased with that. His reconciliation is all-encompassing. We need to remember we have an ally who's eager to make peace through us to others. Ephesians 1, verse 18 says, Know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
and his incomparable great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. See, Jesus is ready to come to our aid. He has all power, and we need to just seek his counsel from the word to seek peace with others. Well, fourthly, real peace is found only at the cross. We've already touched on this. We saw at the beginning of, of this short lesson, the world offers many formulas for peace, right? All kinds of ways. You know, do this, da 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 da, da, da all kinds of formulas. And Americans spend billions and billions of dollars. The antidepressant industry alone is a multi-billion dollar industry. And what's that to do? To remove guilt largely, right? And to try to bring about peace, to remove depression. But you can see how they're connected. Millions of dollars spent in bookstores and seminars and counselors' offices and psychologists and psychiatrists and in courtrooms, all to do what? To resolve some kind of a conflict, right? To seek to resolve a conflict. Real peace is found only at the cross. Verse 20, again, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. It is the cross that the gospel of Christ is revealed and Jesus has freed us from the penalty of sin. So now we have the ability to break free of sinful attitudes and habits that, that would tend to um, foster these conflicts. You see, it's the cross that, that now can make Kurt not such a selfish Kurt, that now I can begin to put others first, that I can begin to love my wife as Christ loved the church. It's, it's only the cross that enables me to not be an angry man and to yell at my children, but rather to speak with them and to shepherd them along. It's only the cross that enables you to be able to have some sanctifying measure of control of your emotions and your appetites in this world. And as you kneel at the foot of the cross, you find inspiration and grace as you look to Christ and his great love for you that he would reconcile you to the Father. This quote's from Ken Sandy, the, the peacemaker. He says, Take hold of the liberating promises of the gospel. Trust that Jesus has forgiven your sins and confess them freely. Believe that he is using the pressures of conflict to help you grow and cooperate with him. Depend on his assurance that he, always watching over you, and stop fearing what others might do to you. Know that he delights to display his sanctifying power in your life and attempt to do the things that you could never accomplish in your own strength, such as forgiving someone who has hurt you deeply. You see the focus of that? That's really a, a pretty good summary of the, of the whole book. Well, real peace is a priority, it's expensive, requires an ally found only at the cross and finally and obviously has eternal consequences. This fifth principle um, drawn from the text, real peace has eternal consequences. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he opened up the door to be fully reconciled to God. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, he who believes in me has everlasting life. 
inherit in this gift of peace is the privilege and responsibility of sharing the message of reconciliation with the lost and dying world. To be able to share with a neighbor, a co-worker, whatever, um, the reconciliation that can be found in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you'll turn over there, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 20, Someone like to read that out loud, loudly? Okay, I'll do it. Oh, go ahead. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new, new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you say 17 20? 20. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal to us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, you know, I don't know if you noticed the, the repetitive word there. Four times reconciliation occurs in those few verses. Paul is trying to make an emphasis here. He's trying to emphasize that. And very simply, if we've received grace and forgiveness and reconciliation, how eager we ought to be to display that to others and to be willing to see others drawn in to the Savior to share this wonderful gift of reconciliation. In John chapter 13, he says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the love that is most persuasive to a world is not love that we show to those who love us. We looked at that in our scripture reading today. Do you remember that? Um, the, the reading in uh, Luke 6, uh, to love our enemies. Also Luke 14 I read. If you're having a feast, you don't invite all your best friends because then they're going to think, like, oh, okay, now I have to pay them back. They had us over last time. But invite the people that can't pay you back. That's, that's what we're to do. That's the kind of love we should be willing to show. So, peacemaking can have eternal consequences. Those co-workers that I've mentioned and so forth, to be able to have that opportunity to go and to be reconciled, to seek forgiveness, to humble yourself. Uh, humility means kind of through the dust. I mean, you're, you're really humbling yourself to the dust if you're going to somebody, especially an unbeliever, and say, you know what, when I yelled at you yesterday and I got angry, that was wrong, and I'd like to ask you to forgive me. Why would you want to do that? You know, and it's an open door because I want to have short accounts with God, my God, whom I serve, and with fellow man. Well, why is that so important? Well, reconciliation. You see, we're all sinners, and, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come. You see how it's just an open door. It's a great open door to share the gospel with others. And so peacemaking can have eternal consequences, and we should be willing to redeem those. 
when we love and we forgive those even who have deeply hurt us, we must be willing to do that. All along confessing our own sins and, and how we were wrong, but seeing Christ reconcile others to himself is a glorious thing. We're giving others a taste of peace and reconciliation that they will find in Jesus when we do that. So, in conclusion, real peace is a priority. It's expensive. It requires an ally. It's found only at the cross, and it has eternal consequences. So, in conclusion, what the world needs is peace, right? But not a superficial, not a temporary, not a band-aid type, not an inner inner peace, not all of these kinds of things, you know, uh, conferences on peace. There's millions of people that are confused as voices are speaking out about how you can find peace. But deep and genuine peace comes only through God, through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, by virtue of his cross. So, what I want you to take away, the takeaway, and it's something that Ken Sandy emphasizes again and again. He was our speaker at the counseling conference last year, and I think every session that he taught, he emphasized this one point. Conflict is an opportunity, okay? It's an opportunity to glorify God. You need to think of it that way rather than reacting to it. Think of it as an opportunity for God to be glorified, that God would grant the grace that you need to be able to humble yourself and to go and make things right, to be a party that's offended you, and likewise to bring the gospel to bear in those situations. So, challenge is to just simply think, is there somebody that you need to seek forgiveness from? Is there somebody in your family? Is there somebody at work? Is there somebody in the neighborhood? Is there Maybe it's your own children that you've sinned against and you haven't sought their forgiveness. And you know that God would be glorified if you humbled yourself. Yeah, it's like tasting dust, I know. I know firsthand. It's like putting your tongue down on some loose dirt on the ground and just tasting it. That's what it's like to humble yourself to that degree. You know what? I was wrong. I sinned. Please forgive me. I've asked God to forgive me. And may God grant grace in the future that I not sin in that way again. We need to be willing to do that. Humble ourselves and to put to death pride. Any questions or comments before we we wrap up? This is a real super quick overview. I'm sensitive to the time and uh, just wanted to sort of nail the na- drive the nail home a little bit, screw the screw in a little deeper from the, our text today before we uh, leave Romans 12. So, any other co- any thoughts or comments?
There's a few extra handouts if anybody needs extras for anybody.